Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey there, guys. Welcome back to Get Advisor Fit. Nice to see you. It's been a while. Today, we are going to be interviewing one of my new friends and a amazing CFP who is interested in fitness and finance, just like me, Justin Green, founder and lead planner of Assist FP. Justin founded his firm in 2021 to help online fitness coaches and entrepreneurs navigate the financial challenges associated with being a business owner. Basically, when I first saw Justin, when I first saw you on social media, I was like, this dude gets me. He's into fitness. He's into finance. Who is he? Should he be my financial planner? Should we be friends? Should he be on my podcast? So many questions. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it hasn't been a long time, but Justin definitely caught my attention from early on. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, he has a beautiful website. It's clear who he serves. His content is in line with his niche. And the niche is one that I personally am into, hence Get Advisor Fit. Actually, Justin has his own podcast too called Dollars and Dumbbells. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see on his shirt, Dollars and Dumbbells. I think I need some shirts. Okay, note to self, <laughs> perhaps merchandising. Okay, side note. <laughs> but anyways, enough about me. Justin, I think that you should tell us about yourself. Um, you have a really unique background and um, it's interesting. I think our listeners need to know about it and uh, tell us how you got here. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I, I truly appreciate it. We've been connecting for a little while and it's funny. This is actually our first time like hopping on a call together, but I, I feel like I already know you. Um, like I can anticipate if you haven't had your Starbucks in the morning, you might be, you know, not ready to talk yet. So like, I feel like I know enough about you. That's the crazy thing about social media. Um, so thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. How far back do we want to go with, uh, with my story? I mean, we can go back probably towards the beginning, um, getting out of college. I went, so I'm a, I'm a small town kid. So I'm from a very small town, Northern New York, and I grew up pretty lower class. So that's kind of how I got into finance to begin with. I started learning about it on my own. Um, but I went to, I went to school. I was first in my family to go to college and I, I got my undergrad in sport management. So like not even close to financial planning. And, um, you know, naturally I started selling cheerleading uniforms. So naturally, I kind of went from, because that's what <laughs> yeah, that's what every like 21 year old guy like strives to do in life. So I actually moved out of Kansas with my fiance. I got a, a role as a sales rep at a, a sportswear teamwear company. Um, that's, that's since been sold to champion teamwear. And so I was selling uh, cheerleading uniforms for a couple of years. And, and as you can probably imagine, I was like, all right, this, this isn't really going to cut it. Like I had really gotten into personal growth after college. Um, I was reading a lot and, you know, diving into podcasts and et cetera. And like, for me, finance was one of those big topics because uh, growing up with not a lot of money, like I wanted to learn how to change that, you know, not just for myself, but like, I want to change the game for like generations to come and my family. And so I had started really diving into personal finance on my own. And then I kind of hit this like uh, fork in the road where I'm like, okay, I'm like selling cheerleading uniforms for me isn't going to cut it long term. Like, what do I want to do? Right. And so naturally, I, you know, I did some self reflection and, and, you know, I have two passions there's finance, there's fitness. I should probably do something with one of these two. Right. And so thought about it and really debated it. I went back and forth. I was looking at all like the certifications for becoming like a fitness coach. And I was looking at like what it would take to go back to school, become CFP, et cetera. I mean, obviously, or not obviously, but honestly, the path to become a financial planner was probably more time intensive, uh, more challenging. I took out student loans to go back and get my master's. Like it was actually a much longer path, but ultimately that's the one I decided to choose. And so I went back to uh, get my master's at Kansas State University, finished up the program, and I got like a, a concentration of financial therapy as well. And then I took the CFP exam, did that. We actually moved back to Massachusetts, where my fiance is from, and I worked at a small fee-only retirement planning firm uh, for about four years before I actually decided to go out and launch um, Assist FB. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's from the cheerleading uniforms to (laughs) retirement planning fee only. Um, well, hold on just one second, because I can't cross it. Can you explain to our listeners what is financial therapy and to me, because I think I know what yeah. it is, but I will be more interested in a little bit to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Kansas State University actually has um, what's called like a graduate certificate program in financial therapy. And it is what it sounds, right? Like it's it's legit therapy. But the reason I took the course wasn't to become like a financial therapist, which is a real thing, you know, to um, talk with, you know, a lot of like married couples with, you know, finance is like number one cause for divorce in the United States. So, um, you know, it is a real field, but I didn't want to become a financial therapist. But what I did uh, have a desire for was really understanding like the psychology behind money, understanding behaviors. Um, and what I learned about a lot in those courses was like money scripts. If you've never heard of yes. it, money scripts is, um, you have cool. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Brad Klontz came up with the term, I think with his father, they're both PhD psychologists. Um, and I think they were working at Creighton at the time. I don't know if they're still at Creighton, but anyways, they came up with this, this term called money scripts. Um, And there's four of them. And basically this kind of um, describes your money mindset. And so I I learned a lot about those in that program. And I like to incorporate that into what I do now. Uh, But by no means was I interested in becoming a financial therapist. Like that's one thing I definitely learned in the program was like, okay, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. But okay. So the reason that I kind of wanted you to talk about that for a second is because I feel like um, some of one of the things and maybe we could even make I mean you could make some social media posts to like draw this analogy is like so the reason I feel like uh, that coaches are so helpful in financial plan well coaches are so helpful and one of the many reasons talking about any type of coach fitness coach financial coach financial planner because let's face it you sort of wear a coaching hat at times Um, is helping people deal with their behavioral issues that um, are affecting their ability to succeed, right? So whether it's the money scripts that they, these money stories that they tell themselves about, oh, well, I'm notoriously bad with money, or I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to lose weight. I'm never going to be able to stick to a dieting plan. I'm never going to be able to stick to a budget. So a lot of like, you, you know, fitness coaches, what they deal with with their clients and some of the things that you deal with your clients is like these behavioral issues, right? And it's like, you can't, you know, I, I feel like that's probably one of the most difficult jobs as a coach is helping people get out of their own way or out of their own mind in order to, you know, help them make progress in whichever financial or physical part of their life. So, um, For sure. No, yeah, it's a lot of what I do. And, and honestly, I think being a, a financial planner is not that much different than being a fitness coach. And so that's, I can actually, I, I love drawing analogies between the two because there's a lot of commonalities. Um, and that's definitely one of them. Understanding um, how someone thinks around money or nutrition, weight loss, et cetera, um, is really important when you're developing recommendations for them. And there's been, you know, in the past, there wasn't a lot of research on this, but there's been a lot of uh, great people out there who've done the research, such as Brad Klontz. Um, Dr. Mariah Summers wrote a really great book called Advice That Sticks. And the whole like point of that book, uh, yeah, I got it right back here. Uh, The whole point of that book is actually how to give the advice, right? Not the advice that you're giving, but like how to give it and how to give it in a way that it will actually be implemented by the client. And sometimes that's not always giving the best financial recommendation, the most optimal financial recommendation, you know, the recommendation that like an engineer would want, right? Like they want the most numbers oriented. Like sometimes that's not the best advice for your average person. Um, And so I think that's really important. And if you understand that, and you understand how people think about money, you can be a much better coach. Um, and truthfully, I wouldn't mind calling myself a coach, but financial coach is like a... It's a well, it's a different of, profession. It's, I mean, and it, you don't in, need... In our profession, in the financial world, it has a, a much different role than a financial planner. Yeah. I'm not so sure that outside of our profession, you know, the Kool-Aid that we drink, I'm not so sure it's looked at the same way. Like if I went to, and this is something I've, I, I'm going to probably explore because I don't really care what people in our profession think I do, but I care about like what my prospective clients think I do. And so something I've looked at exploring is like asking them, like, 
what's the, like, if I asked you, if I, if I said financial coach, you, what does that mean to you? Right. Yeah. Um, and I'd be interested to see if they say the same thing as like people within our profession would. Yeah. That's really interesting actually, because I suspect that, I mean, that psychologically, if they don't understand what a financial planner does, right. Then they might just naturally, you know, be more inclined to, you know, would they be more inclined to pay attention to, for example, to content that was marketed as financial coach, because it's like the, you know, they think it's more aligned with what they do or what they need. I don't know. It's, I mean, that would be interesting to do a little poll or something and let us know. Yeah. I mean, they're coaches. They call themselves coaches. Um, a large percentage of them have a business coach. Um, so the, the term coach for them is relevant. It resonates. And so I'm not sure that it would be that much different if I called myself a financial coach, other than it kind of means something different. It does mean our, something. Yes. Within our industry, it means something a lot different. Um, outside of our industry, I'm not so sure that they would know the difference. I mean, once you get outside well, of our industry, you realize that a lot of the terms we use that we think are extremely important, such as fee only, fiduciary, CFP, et cetera, uh, a lot of people don't even know what those mean. <laughs> so you have to when tell they, them what they mean. Yeah, they don't know what they mean. And when they see them on our website, they're like, yeah, so what? What do you do? <laughs> you know, right, like, exactly. I mean, when it comes down to it and you're like uh, you're talking, you know, like how they're going to be charged and stuff, you know, these things matter. But. Uh, yeah, that's a conversation I have with a lot of advisors. Like, this is not your, <laughs> this is not your marketing plan. Be only fiduciary, sure. <laughs> okay? Because that's like all everybody else too. I mean, not everybody. You got your broker dealers and stuff and all that. But you know, um, this is not your marketing plan. We need a For new sure. plan. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it might have um, been like twenty years ago. Like, fee only could have been a good yeah. differentiator, maybe like twenty years ago. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yes, I know. I mean, and I feel like, um, you know, just something that something that, you know, is important. Like you said, some things are more important to us inside than <laughs> to the outside. Um, but yeah, so it's really, and this is also interesting to me because, you know, because I live on both sides. I have, yeah. I have a fitness coach and uh, I've had a couple in my career, body bodybuilding career, which is mm. not bring me any income whatsoever. So I don't even think you call it <laughs> probably, that. Probably but, costing you quite a bit. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it is. Um, but yeah, so I see both sides, you know, the, the fitness coach and the financial planning world. And um, so it's interesting to see how they, they cross paths and things like that. I noticed in one of your, I mean, this is still sort of on the same story. So storyline. So I apologize. Maybe you're tired of talking about it, but I'm going to ask anyway. So re and you posted on Instagram yesterday about the decision you had to make between becoming the financial planner and the fitness coaching. And then, I mean, what ultimately made you choose? I mean, I think I know the answer, but what ultimately made you choose the FP you know, core with the fitness niche rather than going full on fitness? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, but I want to hear what you think the answer is first before I tell you. Well, well, okay. So <laughs> seems like the first obvious answer is that you can still be a financial planner and you could serve the fitness industry. Okay. If you are a fitness coach, what would you only serve financial planners? You know what I'm saying? This yeah, one allows no, sure. you to do both. Mm -hmm. um, but also because you seem like a smart guy, a very smart guy. And it <laughs> uh, uh, seems to be working well for you. So you seem to have made the right choice. Um, you tell me. No, absolutely. I, so I thought maybe you were going to say money because I think a lot of people think uh, when they think of fitness coaches, there's like sometimes a stigma about not making a lot of money. And so I thought that's what you were going to say. So I was kind of trying to bait you there a little bit. But Okay, um, well, I almost said it. But I also <laughs> know that there are plenty of fitness coaches who make pretty good money. For sure. Some probably yeah, make more than some of the financial planners I know. I mean, so that's only because I know how much they charge. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And how many clients so, they have on their roster. So, so like you're, you're right that I was able to integrate the two, but I have to be honest, like that wasn't my master plan back then, like six, seven years ago. I wish it was, um, yeah. but it took me a lot longer to get to that point. And, and honestly, what it really was is, um, I did think the career outlook for financial planning was a little bit stronger. I think looking back on that, I could have possibly been wrong, but I'm not, I don't regret the decision, but really the main reason I did it was I kind of looked at the two and I said, okay, these are both my passion. There is a possibility if I turn my passion into a career, I could ruin the passion for it. And I wasn't willing to do that with fitness. So I had been working out since like, I didn't get into it until senior year at high school. Um, and I was a string bean. I was as skinny as could be before then, you know, and I would just make fun of my friends who lifted because it was like an insecurity thing. And finally, uh, my buddy was like, you're coming to the gym with me tomorrow. And I think, I think he thought I would say no. And I was like, okay, cool. Pick me up. I'll be there. And I fell in love with it and I've been doing it ever since. And so it's been a passion of mine for like 15 years. And I just wasn't willing to uh, risk that. Right. Like I've heard of a lot of different people um, who turn their passions into careers and they just like burn themselves out. And then the passion's gone as well. Like, you know, they, you know, they might do fitness coaching for 10 years and then they never even touch a weight again in their life. Right. Like if you talk to like a 56 year old person. And so like, I wasn't willing to sacrifice that on the fitness side. Whereas like the finances side, I was like, you know what, if I burn myself out, then so be it. I can do it for myself. I can find another career. Like, so be it. So honestly, it really just came to, uh, came down to not wanting to sacrifice that passion. I wish it was the master plan back then. Honestly, that came together <laughs> probably about like two to three years ago, uh, where I was just like, I didn't like, I didn't really feel like I was being myself. I, I wasn't wearing like a suit and tie. So I wasn't doing your traditional suit and tie. Um, but I was working with retirees. It was, it was, I mean, financial planning in general is a stuffy profession. It was kind of boring. I couldn't relate very well. And so that was when I really started thinking about like, how do I tie in fitness? Um, and I had heard, I've been following an advisor named Justin Costelli for quite a while. I'm not sure if you yeah, know him. Yeah, yeah. I know and uh, when I first started following like XY and Justin, when I was like early on in like school, I think he had made a comment about like, I don't want to be known as the advisor with a barbell because he was into fitness and he had tattoos and he was different than every other advisor. And when I heard that, I was like, well, I wouldn't mind that. Like, that's not I want cool. to. <laughs> yeah. <I'd> like, <laughs> like, like, cool. I'm glad you don't because I, I, I don't mind <laughs> taking that title. So um, it had always been in the back of my mind. Um, and then, so ultimately when I decided to launch my own firm, that's when I was able to actually kind of put that, that into motion. A lot of advisors that I talk with, I mean, no matter where they are really in their journey, um, there's always this question of, you know, and I'm not, let me preface this by saying it seems to be with advisors who have been established for a 20 plus years. So you know what age range that puts them in. Um, should I be in a niche? Should I just be serving everybody under the sun? Um, you know, does niche marketing, uh, does that cut me? Am I cutting myself off from potential clients, um, et cetera, et cetera? As a person who runs a business that is a niche-based business, financial advisors, financial industry, business professionals who serve financial advisors, et cetera. Um, I think that my stance is pretty clear that I am a, you know, advocate for niche marketing. You make a better message about who you want to serve and what you do. And it narrows the playing field quite a bit um, as far as helping to target your mark, your, your audience and your marketing. You know, I could go on about this all day, um, but once we cross that hurdle, it's, you know, what niche do I want to serve? Well, some people are very clear on that. I work really well with engineers. Okay, great. How, you know, I go say, what percentage of your book of business is currently engineers? You know, we kind of look at their, their current breakdown. Um, and then, you know, once we sort of decide where they're going to go, um, but then I get, you know, some advisors who are like, I serve, tell me five different things and they're all unrelated. Widows, dentists, athletes, 
grandmothers. I don't know. You know, <laughs> they have like this. I'm like, that's not niche marketing. You we've we've still covering a very huge group of people. Um, and what I try to explain to them is like, you need to be work with the kinds of people that you work well with and that make it makes you happy to work with them. So, you know, you said something in one of our emails about, you know, authenticity in your niching. So maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like a lot of advisors, you know, they, they niche down and, and they work with say like doctors, right? Like how many advisors have you seen that work with doctors? Doctors hate me. When I walk into a doctor's office <laughs> and I start cracking jokes, they kind of just like look at me funny. They like start to like explain in medical terms. And I have to be like, it was a joke. Let's just move this on. Like, let's get like my, my fiance hates going to the doctors with me just because uh, not to stereotype them, but a lot of them aren't like, they're super smart, but like, they're not really personable. Um, and so I start cracking jokes. And so like doctors is, was like a non-starter for me from the beginning, like engineers, they have a reputation in our profession as well. They're very numbers and analytic oriented. I have a concentration of financial therapy. I obviously focus on the soft side just as much as I do on the numbers um, so, you know, when I thought about niching, I'll be honest with you, it was scary. I've drink, I've drank every cup of Kool-Aid of the niche Kool-Aid in our profession from XY to everything else. Right. And I've, I've always believed that niching is the right way to go, but I launched my firm about a year ago. When I first launched, I said, I serve millennials and fitness entrepreneurs, right? I was still scared to go all in on that. And it only took me a couple months to realize, well, one millennials isn't a niche because that's a really large group of people and they have a large group of needs. So it's hard to like speak directly to their needs. Um, and so I started interacting with the online fitness community because I knew I wanted it to be my niche. I was just so scared to like turn away, you know, 99% of the people because I started from scratch. I didn't have a book of business. I started from scratch and I'm a younger advisor, right? And so retirees, that doesn't make sense. That's boring to me. So start or started networking with this community. And it was then when I really started to get more comfortable, like these are my people. I relate really well. Um, I can go on, on Instagram. I can post my workout and it's not like, you know, their, their reaction isn't, you know, why is this like advisor <laughs> posting a workout video where like, I get that from some of my friends still. And even my fiance one time was like, you don't have a shirt on, on your business Instagram. And it was like from here up, I had just gotten done a run. So it was like here yeah. up and I was very intentional. I wasn't going to, you know, uh, show much more than that, but no nips. Like, <laughs> yeah, no nips. And she was like, maybe you shouldn't have done that. And I was like, you think my audience cares about that? Like they don't. And so it, it's hard for people to understand, but I have never felt more myself in the last, as I have in the last probably like four or five months, once I really started to narrow in the message and who I work with and who I talk to. Um, and I've become much more active on Instagram. I've, I've made connections. I never would have thought I'd make a year ago. Um, so really leaning into who I am as a person and connecting with those same type of individuals. Uh, it's just, it's been instrumental to kind of the early success of my firm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was something that really stood out to me was that you can tell that you're comfortable and um, it just shines through and everything that comfort, that confidence. Those are the types of things that attract people, um, no matter what your niche is. So if you can, you know, but enable in order to be able to show that it's, it's got to feel right to you. Right. Because we can tell mm -hmm. when people are faking it. Um, you know, we got BS detectors, at least I would like to think that most of us do. And, sure. um, and, in so much it's, it's so much of marketing can be BS. <laughs> so it's like just so refreshing to see when people are actually passionate about, you know, what they're talking about. And it makes a huge, huge difference in, you know, your engagement in social media and the types of people coming to you that you actually want to work with. Yeah. And I, I think it is important to highlight too, because I know advisors listen to this podcast. That's kind of your market. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. Like just because I get online on Instagram and I talk about working with fitness coaches and even though they're interacting with me, that doesn't mean like my business has, you know, added a hundred new fitness coach clients in the first couple of months, right? Like first six months were rough. 
And then it kind of goes in stages. It's like crickets because you're just planting seeds for a while. And it's like starting any type of business, especially professional services like this. Uh, crickets for a long time, engagement, which I'm kind of coming out of that, and then momentum. And then the fourth one is really like explosive growth, right? And so you really have to get through those first three stages because those can take a while. It might take one year, it might take two years, it could take three years. I was prepared for this business not to grow at all for three years. And I've, you know, everything has just been gravy since then, but I kind of mentally prepared myself for that. Um, and I would say I'm kind of coming out of the engagement going into the momentum phase right now, right? Where I'm picking up clients, but it's not like I'm getting, you know, 20 clients every month type thing. Um, and so I'm kind of working into the momentum phase. And then if you do that for a year or two and you keep kind of going with all the marketing that I have in play, then I kind of enter that growth phase. Okay. Well, that is a perfect segue then for me to ask you of the stuff that you're doing, of the marketing tasks that you picked out for yourself and are implementing, which have uh, been the most fruitful for you so far? Definitely Instagram, but that's because that's where my audience lives. So you have to figure out like, who's your audience and then figure out where do they live, right? If you're working with professionals, it's probably LinkedIn. Um, if you're working with like crypto enthusiasts, it might be like Twitter, um, fitness people live on Instagram, right? Instagram is video and, and photos and they want to show off what they've got. So it's a very visual um, profession, industry space. And so I've been working a lot on my Instagram marketing and I did launch a podcast a couple months ago, probably about three months ago called Dollars and Dumbbells. And I kind of use that to fuel my Instagram marketing, to be honest. Uh, so I kind of drive a lot of my traffic from Instagram to the podcast. And it's just like this cycle um, by getting on other fitness uh, coaches, entrepreneurs, and giving them a chance to share their stories and then bringing on professionals that can help fitness coaches. So like business coaches, um, coaches with certification programs, marketing. I brought on a CPA one time, talked about like self-employed taxes. So that's kind of the goal with that, but it really drives it all back to Instagram, which is where my audience lives, but Instagram's challenging. Like it's very hard to uh, reach organically on Instagram. Whereas like LinkedIn, if you post something, say if I posted something and then you commented on it, now everyone that, that you're connected with sees it. Mm -hmm. It's not like that on Instagram. So you really have to emphasize like stories, um, tagging other people, trying to get them to share your story. So that way you can leverage their audience as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not easy, but if that's where your audience lives and you need to spend a lot of time figuring out like the best way to get organic reach, and then you have to get comfortable getting on video because reels, Instagram reels, which is like TikTok's competitor, um, is what they emphasize. So you need to, uh, yeah, you need to get I post, I'm not so good about that on my regular page, which, you know, was all bodybuilding stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what the reel was about now, but I think like two or three weeks ago, I was like, oh, I'm just going to make this into a reel. And then all of a sudden I got like a thousand followers. I was like, Whoa, what happened? I didn't even do anything. <laughs> and yeah, then reels can go viral very quickly. Um, it's not as sexy when you're a financial planner posting reels like fitness coaches can like post something. It can go viral pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to have a hundred, 200, 300,000 followers. I mean, sure. If I do, that's cool, but yeah, yeah. I'm really just trying to make sure the right people are following me. Right. Like I just want to make sure it's fitness coaches, nutrition coaches, uh, even fitness business coaches uh, following me. As long as they're in that right audience, I don't care if I have, 300 followers, which I think is pretty close to what I have. I don't have a whole lot, but like I kind of go through periodically and I scan through to see like, all right, who's yeah, like a quality. friend and who's a coach. And the quality has consistently improved over the last couple of months. And it continues to kind of trend that way. Yeah. I think this is probably more of a trend in um, fitness coaching than it is in financial planning, but uh the quality of your who's following you and who's watching you and all of these things is what matters. I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll have an advisor come to me and say, well, my goal is to get 1000 people to follow the page. I'm like, okay, 1000 people or 1000 or what, you know, what's, why don't we focus on getting X number of actual people who are interested in financial planning rather than just going out and, paying for ads that are going to get people who aren't interested to come like your page. <laughs> um, sure. So, you know, so the quality, like you're saying, is 
paramount. And uh, I think that, you know, I see we see in the fitness side, people like paying for followers. It's like, great, but those people aren't going to spend any money on your product. So it's just not helping you at all. Yeah. If you're an advisor, don't fall for any of those tricks. Don't, (sighs) don't pay for followers. Don't, um, don't do the whole, like, like a bunch of pages once they like you back or follow a bunch of pages. Once they follow you back, you unfollow, like, don't do that. Don't do any of the, like, get rich quick schemes when it comes to getting followers, like just go like put out really great content, do it every day, be consistent. And then just wait, <laughs> like just wait, just plant as many seeds as possible and then wait until, you know, it shows up. Yeah. It's interesting. He said, just wait, because I was um, talking to an advisor who was like, Oh, well, I was working with this, this company and I'm wondering like, when is it going to be enough? And I'm like, well, what do you mean is, you know, is it going to be enough? I was like, I'm not really sure. You know, we, we kept talking and things like this, but the moral of the story at the end of the conversation was, you know, you're going to look for consistent growth. You're going to look for a consistent conversion rate from your website. You're going to look for, um, you know, that you're consistently booking calls through your online scheduling tool, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, but, There's never going to be a point when you don't need this in today's world. I mean, you, if you're running a business, you have to be doing these things all the time until the end of time and until it changes to something else. It's not really something that you say, okay, I've done enough. I put my hands up in the air. You know, (laughs) your clients are going to die. Some of them might move. Uh, if you need, if you, in order to keep bringing revenue into your advisory firm, you're going to have to keep producing content and putting things out there, remaining consistent, keeping that trust, um, you know, with the people who are a your clients for retention purposes, and b people that are researching you to consider working with you. Like, you might have like enough for this month, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, this these efforts aren't anything that's ever going to change the way the world does business these days. Um, and, and unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but I mean, the difficult part, I think, like you said, is keeping up on the best ways to leverage each platform, right? So like the algorithm, algorithms are constantly changing, you know, now reels are favored over, you know, static images. And um, same thing happens in LinkedIn, where, you know, let's, for example, like longer captions will be favored over necessarily sharing or whatever, whatever actions there are that register so that your content gets seen and that you get that interaction. Um, so it's definitely an ongoing effort, but yes, just start and, and a, wait and remain faithful. <laughs> and a good thing to consider when you're doing it is like pick something you like to do, right? There's so many different types of marketing you could do you could do long form posts like blogs uh you could do shorter blogs which would be like a post on instagram or something like that um you could do a newsletter you could do a podcast you could do a youtube video series like figure out what you like and then do that right like i don't love writing i like i immediately get writer's block i don't think i'm terrible at it but like i immediately get writer's block so it's really it's really challenging for for me to get into the flow with that when i hop on a podcast as a host like I'm in the zone, like 40 minutes flies by, right? Like it just feels so comfortable, so natural. And I'm really, cause it's because I love having conversations with new people. I love learning about businesses, entrepreneurs, what they're doing, what ideas they have, how they got to where they are. I love learning that stuff. And so hopping on a podcast is like just having a conversation for me. Um, so that's why I leaned into that. And then I use that to fuel the Instagram because if you're going to do something for the long term, like you do actually need to like it. And if you don't like it, then you need to find ways to outsource and, and delegate. Yeah. So you're really good at this <laughs> <laughs> because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, I don't know what your situation is and you don't have to tell us, but if there was one task that you, for, I mean, and this is going to be different for everybody, but one task that you could outsource or would outsource or do outsource, what would that be? Blogging perhaps? Cause you said you don't like to write. Yeah. So right now I, I don't outsource anything. I do it all myself. I'm still in startup mode in my eyes. Um, I'm not even a year into my own firm. Like I, I launched last March 23rd. We're recording on like January 18th. I don't know. It's cut off on my screen. Um, so on, I'm, 
Yeah. So I'm under a year and I'm still in like trial and error with a lot of things. So it's hard to outsource things. I still like to really see the results uh, directly so I can test different things. Um, but I'm going to say something that probably is going to make most advisors head spin. I will most likely outsource as many of the financial planning tasks as possible before I outsource any of the marketing. I really enjoy the marketing. I really enjoy being like the spokesperson of the firm. Um, so I like to have my voice on the podcast. I like it to be my face on the reels. Like I like to be the face of the firm. Um, and I forget where I heard this, but essentially calling it like the spokesperson of the business. I like that. Um, so I will, I will start my outsourcing with like para planning or CFP work. Um, that's where I will start with outsourcing, but then there are, there are other like backend areas. I should be outsourcing obviously on the marketing side, like the podcast editing takes up a lot of my time. I should be outsourcing that. Um, I probably should be posting more blogs and I don't like the writing. So I, I could, I could outsource that. Um, and, and I could really just um, take some of the videos I've done and just give that to a writer and have them write something up about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hard thing about that, and I apologize, I know it's kind of what you do, but like, it's okay. No, it's okay. I've heard it all. It's, You're not gonna it's hard because like, it's like, then it's not my voice. I have, I have a hard time with that. That's something I probably need to like go over time. Um, but like when we talk about authenticity, like if it's not me writing, it's not going to be in my voice. And so I think that's, that's what I have a hard time, um, letting go when it comes to those tasks. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally understand because I started out in my business writing everything for myself Mm -hmm. and everybody else. So I wrote all of my content on my website and I wrote all the advisor content for all the advisors that I had. And um, obviously at some point you can only work, so you can only write so many hours in the day. So in order to scale, I had to add people to my team. Now it's very, I can only write about zero hours a day. That's about how many hours (laughs) I like writing. (laughs) And, you know, I've got to go to the gym for like half the day. So I don't have time for that. No, I'm just kidding. But um, so eventually, like if I wanted to grow my business, I was like, I've got to outsource some of these things. Mm-hmm. And writing is the most time consuming. It was it's still still very, very difficult. What I had to find was that there are going to be writers that you can work with and writers that you can't. There are clients that have come to me and just said, hey, you know, this other writer, they just feel my voice better. And I'm like, cool, go with them. That's totally what you should do. Um because you're not everybody can capture everybody. Do you know what I'm saying? And then I have have had clients that I've worked with for years that, you know, consistently are just super pleased with what I give them. They, you know, because we just vibe together. Well, I understand their business. I understand their challenges. You know what I'm saying? So part of it, I think is finding the right person to work with. Um, And then, but still, even when you find the right person, it, it is difficult because it's basically like sometimes you're going to get them. Sometimes you're they're going to hit it out of the park and other times you're going to have to rewrite the whole thing from scratch. Mm-hmm. And right. it's like, you know, so you kind of just take the winners with the losers. It's kind of like investing. <laughs> you just right. got to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you're just going to. It's not going to be a home run. I will have to outsource. I will have to outsource some of it. I won't have the capacity forever to keep doing it all. Um, I'm, you know, obviously I'm in startup mode now, so I can, you know, time is on my side right now, uh, but it's, it's very quickly, um, you know, no longer being that way. So it is something you have to look at because it, because what happens is if you have, um, you know, a full client roster, you know, if business is booming and then you just stop doing anything, you don't outsource it, but you just stop because you're too busy. When business is no longer booming, like you said, clients, you know, they die, they retire, they move on, whatever it is, like you can't just turn it on at that point. Like it, it doesn't work that way. It needs to always be like working in the background. And so it's much more important to outsource it if you can than to not do it at all. Yeah. If I ever feel like I'm getting to that point where I'm like, I can't do it. That's when I'll know like, oh, well, I should probably make the decision before that. <laughs> that's like waiting too late to hire, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's when you really know, like you gotta, you've got to outsource it and I will have to do that. Yes. All the challenges of being an entrepreneur. So exciting. That's the fun part. 
It is. It actually is the fun part. And I totally understand like you wanting to be the revenue generator, being like the spokesperson, because that to me is same for my business. That's the most exciting part. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the other parts just, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's our job. So we do. But right. I mean, that's very- a lot of what I do with with fitness coaches as well. Right. When you think about it, like they're entrepreneurs and the moment they start to, to look at hiring me is when they're too busy to look at the finances on their own. Right. Like they might have there's a couple of common pain points that they all share. Yes. Um, tell me. Tell but, me about that. Yeah. So reality is time is one of the biggest ones. Right. They're just so busy doing what they're doing, kicking ass, like serving their clients and doing a really great job at it that the finances fall through the cracks a little bit, right? So usually when they're reaching out to me, it's 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 almost always one of three areas. First one, taxes. Every self-employed uh, individual realizes they hate taxes. Even a socialist will realize they hate taxes once they start working for themselves, right? Yeah. And so that's where it always starts. Taxes is a big one. Cash flow is another one. So if they don't have the time on their hands to stay organized, then um, they often need bookkeeping help. I don't actually offer the bookkeeping services, um, but it's that is a pain point that I see with a lot of them. That's almost the first step. Tax prep and bookkeeping is like what opens their eyes to like, ah, I kind of need some help here, right? By bookkeeping, you mean they don't know what to keep in the business and what to take out of the business, or they're just not really having a full awareness of their monthly cash flow or monthly cash flow, staying organized. Uh, Most of the time, it's like when they have to go file their taxes for the first time, the first time that they actually had like a a pretty good year. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not organized, right? Like either they didn't have a setup in QuickBooks they weren't organizing expenses. Maybe they didn't separate personal and business expenses, which is like big no-no. Um, that's like, you know, baseline, like you got to do that. Um, so helping with those decisions um, is important. Like I said, I don't do the actual bookkeeping, but it's something I may consider adding on uh, just because it is a huge pain point and it's a, it's a good entry level for the for coaches. Um, tax prep and those two kind of go hand in hand, right? The other one is... Um, they're doing really well. They don't have a lot of time, so they don't like focus on it. And all of a sudden they've got a boatload of cash in the bank and they kind of know they should be doing something. So it goes in one of two ways. They know they should be doing something. So that's why they want help. Cause either one, they don't have time to figure out what they should do, or they're just really not confident making that decision on their own. Like maybe they're not used to having this much money. And so they don't want to do the wrong thing. And this is where we can start getting into like money mindset, money scripts, et cetera. Um, or, um, they just simply don't have the time, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? They, they just haven't had the time to deal with it. And yeah. so they might know that they need to be saving for the future. A lot of times you'll hear like, I know I should and I can be saving, but I'm not, right? So then you have to take a look at their cash flow and figure out like, okay, no, like here's some opportunities we can save to not only reduce your taxes, but also give you some flexibility because at the end of the day, they are entrepreneurs. You know, yeah. there's no one saying that they're going to be a fitness coach or this is going to be their business for the rest of their lives. A lot of fitness coaches move on to being business coaches or they they launch other side businesses when they see a need in the market uh, for something. Like I talked to a, um, a really successful uh, fitness coach who now does business coaching. And then she also launched a business to basically bring on like uh, VAs because um, one of the challenges she was having with a lot of her students in the business coaching business was that they needed VAs and they needed somewhere to go to find them. So she saw a need and she created another business and all of her businesses are doing extremely well. So, I mean, they are entrepreneurial. They're going to look at different business opportunities. So you really have to plan for flexibility. You yeah. can't tie everything up into um, an illiquid asset. Uh, you slightly have to encourage them not to put it all back into the business. What reality is they're going to put a lot back into the business. So uh, being like an AUM advisor, probably not the best option. I work on a, a monthly subscription where basically clients pay me monthly to work with me. Um, I kind of talk about it as like a consulting type of relationship to, to them because it makes sense with them. Um, and then I do AUM on the side if they want it, but I don't require it. Uh, but some advisors, more traditional advisors, just charge straight up AUM. If I were to do that, I wouldn't be able to serve this niche as well because a lot of them do plow a lot of money back into the business 
or they're young. And so they don't have a large account, even if they're making 200,000 a year, they don't have a large retirement account to manage or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I definitely, uh, you know, there's a lot of articles out there about moving to this different kind of service model, not necessarily just charging AUM, but in order to be able to serve more people. So millennials, they have a lot of needs, right? And they're also going to inherit a lot of money over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, we talk about the wealth transfer for the last 10, 20 years. It is going to happen eventually. Uh, but the other thing is like millennials understand technology and going online. And so they benefit the most from having a world we live in where you can make a lot of money online. I still tend to work with a lot of millennials. Like that's still is who I tend to work with, yeah. but that because they're online fitness coaches or uh, fitness entrepreneurs, now they're millennials, but they have a very specific set of needs, which is taxes, cash flow, and how to save for the future. I think it's really important when you do pick a niche that you look at two things. One, that they have a planning need, which I just told you mine, but it could be student loans, could be stock options, could be retirement, could be social security. Uh, those are boring, but it could be those. Yeah. The second one, they can afford to pay you. Business owners and entrepreneurs can afford to pay me and they're gonna afford to pay me a higher fee because it's a much higher touch service than if I'm just meeting with you once a year. Like. I'm very involved. Yeah. My fees on the website are actually not reflective of what they're going to be in a year, right? It will go up. Yes, as it should, as it should go up. I remember telling my little, my last fitness coach, I was like, you know, you should be charging more now, right? <laughs> yeah, but. fitness coaches, they can charge, they can get away with charging a lot. If you yeah. provide the value, they can charge a lot. And they're, so, and that's the other thing is they're comfortable charging, uh, I'm sorry, they're comfortable paying a professional because they make a living based on clients paying them, right? They understand it. They understand having coaches because they hire business coaches. So this is not like foreign to them. They really understand that model. Um, and so they're much more likely to delegate this type of thing. Whereas um, just like a average, like nine to five person, they might not get it as much. Like they're yeah. not used to hiring all these outsourced individuals to help with different aspects of, of being a business owner. And the reality is, is a financial planner is going to help with a lot of the business finances and the personal finances. Like they drive one another, like they're so intertwined that you can't do one or the other. I obviously focus a lot on the personal as well, but like I, there's, I just can't ignore the business. The business drives the personal side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a lot of ways, this how my business is too. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar. You just started your business in like one of the most tumultuous times in the past, like 10 to 20 years. So, I mean, how do you think that is, do you think that it's been an advantageous situation? Do you feel like there were more, or perhaps that there were more hurdles you had to overcome? Um, I mean, have you, what do you think? Yeah. So, for me, it's a unique situation because uh, my fiance is a travel nurse. So I don't like to say this out loud very often, but like we benefited from the pandemic financially. Um, I know a lot of people haven't. So I, I try not to like, you know, broadcast that. But like the economic side of the pandemic hasn't been as challenging for us. Um, now, working with online fitness coaches, a lot of their businesses blew up during the pandemic. A lot of them had the opportunity to go online and make a lot more money than they were ever making before in their lives. Um, and we live in a very technologically advanced society. And once you like, we don't go backwards in technology very often, right? So we're not going to go backwards. The online fitness community is going to continue to grow from here. Um, and I just, I can't see it going back to the in-person days when people see how convenient it is to just have someone that understands them because in person is so like zip code relevant. Right. It is. And, and so like you can only pick from like the coaches that are at your local big box gym or a friend, you know, or go to like a CrossFit gym or something like that. 
Whereas like you go online, you're going to find a coach who has like the same personality as you, who really gets you, really understands you. Maybe they're more spiritual like you, or they're more like, you know, you just need to work harder and you need that. Like you can find the right fit for you. You can find a better coach that fits what you need. So we're just not going to go backwards. Like we, as society, we just don't go back in our ways. And I think that that's not just the fitness space. I think there's a lot of industries that, I mean, think of how many companies are no longer like in office anymore. Like it's just going to be hybrid that's, and it's not going back. That's exactly what I was just going to say. So my brother-in-law, he works, uh, he works with <clears throat> my stepmom. They are business transformation specialists, basically for financial advisors, but mostly what he does is uh, hire for the advisory groups. Right. So when we were talking recently, we were talking about, um, I think we were writing an article on the benefits that advisors need to offer to like get, you know, junior advisors or assistant advisors or whatever, because hiring right now is so hard. You can't find anybody, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And they were saying that if you're not offering some at least partial like work from home option, you could just cross out like eight out of 10 applicants looking at your job um, description because we're not going backwards. People have seen that, you know, maybe they're more productive at home. Maybe they're not, but they just like being at home and that that's what they want from their workplace. And they're willing to sit on the sidelines until they find, or, you know, wait it out to find a, a job that is offering those things. I mean, even this has become like more of a concern than actually like uh, retirement plan options as benefits these days. So, I mean, it's like you, we are not going backwards. Um, and you know, that's just one, another example of that. Um, and the other thing and- is I'm virtual. I work virtually. Um, my fiance is a travel nurse and I tag along with her. So I, you know, last year I was in Long Island, New York. I was in North Carolina. I spent like four months in Naples, Florida, and now we're back in Massachusetts right now. So I, I work virtually as well. So I benefit from the online space. Um, but yeah, it's not going backwards. If you're a company who tries to like use, uh, hybrid office uh, or being like hybrid, like online and in office as like your differentiator. That's just like being a financial planner trying to use fee only. Like it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. That worked, that worked two years ago. That doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And it's funny because when I first, I, I guess this was probably like before March of 2020. So like before shit hit the fan. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, people were like surprised to learn that other, I was like, they're like, oh, so, you, so I remember I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, so like how many clients do you have in Florida? I was like, none. At the time I didn't, now I do. But I was yeah. like, they're everywhere else. Like I've never, my company's always been 100% completely. Everything is done online. I mean, I it blew my mind in 2018 that I could make X amount of dollars of income a year with literally just a laptop and an internet connection. I was like, this is insane. Why did I go to college? Not really. You make a lot of money online. But why do I have a master's degree when I could have just been working from my laptop this entire time? So I mean, it, it's it's wild and it's it's advantageous for lots of groups of people, including you know fitness coaches and and people like us, service based business that you don't have to be face to face to to. And like you said, if for people who are looking for a financial planner, like. Me, you're in Massachusetts, I'm in Florida, you could totally be my financial planner and everything would be just fine. You don't have to be here. I would be severely limited um, if I was just going by my zip code. So, you know, it's great. Absolutely. It's a great world to live, we live in these days. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's cool because like, I was always planning on being virtual. Like that's, that's, that had nothing to do with the pandemic. And I will, and I do enjoy meeting people. So like if someone reaches out from Massachusetts and they're local, like sure we yeah, can yeah. do in person. I don't like, it doesn't bother me. Um, but like they get it right. Cause they work virtually with their clients. So they don't have any qualms with not coming into my office. Like this is what they do. They're on video calls all day with their clients, check-ins, et cetera. It works for me they understand how I work because it's the same way they work. And actually I take a lot from, I try and step outside of the financial planning profession because uh, a lot of what we do is like this echo chamber of what financial planners do. And I actually try and take a lot from how they build their businesses incorporate that into mine. Um, And so that's what I try to do. I don't have a great example of that. I was trying to think of one. You're going to start start posting (laughs) transformation pics. (laughs) 
Well, I wish I could do testimonials. That's a, that's another issue with our our uh, profession. But um, portfolio and, before, portfolio after. No, yeah, no, I would never do that. But I wish I, I could. Know. You know, I wish I could get like client testimonials who who have worked with me. You know, and say obviously good things. Uh, but All there's regulations. Things. Yeah, there's regulations in our professions that. Uh, are advancing, but Massachusetts hasn't adopted any ruling on the new SEC advertising yeah. rule. Uh, I just called them the other day to basically be like, what's the deal? And they're like, yeah, we don't have anything yet. So I can't do that right now. Uh, bigger firms can, which is kind of annoying because I think smaller firms are already at a disadvantage and now we can't even like market the way you should be marketing in 2022, right? Like yeah. this isn't, I mean, this it's a new world. I mean, I forget the year, but the the rules hadn't been updated in a very, very long time, like probably like 40 plus years, if I remember yeah, I correctly. Gonna, I didn't even uh, know it was that long. I thought it was like- I can't years. remember the year. I could be wrong, but it's been a long time. It was way before digital marketing and, and social media was like a mainstay in our lives, right? It was way before we were on these all day, you know? So um, there's challenges in how I market my business, um, but there's a lot we can still do. And you just have to kind of figure out which ones are most appropriate. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a non-business related question before we get out of here. And that is, what is your like, you know, I'm a bodybuilder, so I train for hypertrophy. But what about you? What is your favorite training style? Uh, not getting hurt. I feel like the older <laughs> I get, <laughs> the harder that becomes. Uh, deadlifts are probably my favorite. Uh, but we travel a lot. So like, I have to be careful. Cause if I, if I'm in the car for like 10 hours and I try and deadlift the next day, I'm down for like no, three months. I get hurt. I get hurt too often. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do do a lot of traditional bodybuilding stuff. I like to work in some type of like functional training every now and then just to like feel like an athlete and yeah. not feel like I'm getting old. Um, and just kind of keep my mobility out. That's good. Does your wife work out with you? Yeah, she does. She likes more of the functional training. Um, so she, when we first met, was uh, a runner, like would run and do all that. And then I kind of introduced her to lifting. I was like, it's not so bad. Like here, how it's done. <laughs> and she really likes lifting now. Uh, but she likes doing like um, F45 classes. Yeah. She, like, has a, she has a Peloton. She really likes riding the Peloton and doing some of like the bodyweight exercises that they do. Um, but we're also on like completely different schedules because she's a, she works overnight shift as a nurse. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of time. Like we don't lift together a lot, but we both are very active. That's good. It's good. Just stay healthy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm trying. The older I get, I focus a little bit more on health and uh, a little less on like the weights. But uh, the ego still takes over sometimes. Oh perfect. yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I oh, man, I have issues with my knees, and I feel like the only exercise that I have found that really has, I mean, besides like leg extensions, if for quad growth is like the hack squat and we have, mm. they call it the humbler at my gym. It's a Cybex mm. old school, like hack squat. And that, I mean, it will put you on, I mean, it will take you out, but <clears throat> it's great. I mean, it's the only thing that I can feel like is really contributed to any of my quad growth, but it really screws with my knee. So I have, tried all these different knee sleeves and wraps and all of this stuff. And I still struggle with it. And I'm like, one of these, I mean, one of these days, something's just gonna pop. <laughs> Snap. Yeah, I'm it's not so fun. scary. Yeah, no, injuries aren't fun. I, I, I had two knee surgeries, uh, probably about like five years ago now. And then I pulled my groin and that was the worst one. That took like, cause I, I'm not patient with injuries. Like I try and go back too soon. So that probably took, it kind of, actually, I'm still like, uh, not, it, it doesn't bother me, but basically I went like knee surgery, worked it back up, like started getting my legs back up, knee surgery again, Ugh. and I had to go through rehab, started working back up, pulled groin. And then, so like, I really didn't do a lot of legs for probably the better half of a year. I would do it for like two weeks and I would tweak it again. So like, I really, I still feel like my legs are so far behind just from like the three-year stretch that that was. And then mentally, it was really hard to go heavy on legs after the groin pull, even once I, once I was better. And I never actually got that diagnosed because I don't like to do that, but um, <laughs> it definitely pulled it. And uh, so mentally, I had a hard time going heavy because it just 
like I was so scared to pull it again and I knew how long it took to heal. So I feel like my legs are very far behind. Your quads are much more shredded than mine. Oh my gosh. Well, how luckily I've been able to eat some more lately. So, you know, my butt cheeks actually touch now and things are getting a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that problem. Yeah, no, it's you don't want to have that problem. <laughs> anyways, well, thank you for joining me. I mean, this was awesome. This, like, like Justin said, this is the first time that we actually have spoken, um, not through social media or email. So it was a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for contributing to the conversation. This is really awesome. To learn more about Justin and his firm, visit www.assistfp.com and be sure to follow him on social media. Justin, thank you. It was a pleasure. And uh, check out, oh, also you need to check out his podcast, Dollars and Dumbbells, uh, probably on any of your favorite platforms. Yeah, Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I felt like I forgot we were recording for a while. It just felt like a fun conversation. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, good. I'm glad. I always, I always like that when it feels like a fun conversation. (laughs) Maybe you'll come back again someday. So um, yeah, for sure. So to learn more about myself, you can visit my website. If you want to learn more about Justin, you can visit his website. We're both on social media and our links are on our websites. So really that's the place to go. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, uh, to the channel to get all the tips from the greatest financial service industry experts around. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit lexicondevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.